it has been the most tumultuous couple weeks in, you know, billionaire drama here in Silicon Valley. Natasha Tiku is a tech reporter for The Post, and she's been covering this whirlwind of events as Elon Musk tries to seize control of Twitter. This all started on April 4th, when Elon Musk took a 9% stake in Twitter, becoming the company's largest shareholder. All right, like him or not, it's impossible to ignore him. Elon Musk, the richest person in the world, is now the single biggest shareholder of Twitter. That makes him a 9.2% owner of Twitter, to be very precise here. It also makes him the single biggest shareholder of the company, even bigger than some of the biggest mutual fund and exchange-traded fund investors in Twitter. Twitter stock is soaring right now on this breaking news. And you have to wonder whether Elon Musk's uh, influence on Twitter will actually change the the company in any way. Of course, it has- what happened next is Twitter invited him to join the board, which would have put a cap on the amount of shares that he is able to own. And so it seemed like, you know, it was veering towards a unpredictable but sort of sensible end. But then later that same week, Musk declined the board invitation. And all of a sudden, you know, the roller coaster is back on. And then this past Thursday, Elon Musk sends out this tweet. He says he is going to try to buy Twitter and take the company private. And Elon tweets out a link to an SEC filing that says very curtly, I made an offer. And that's how he let the world know that he had launched a hostile takeover bid to buy Twitter for roughly $43 billion or $54.20 a share. Loyal Elon acolytes will note that he got his happy little 420 number in there, a reference to weed, which now many business reporters have had to say publicly. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Elon. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, April 18th. Today, we break down exactly what is going on with Elon Musk and Twitter. And we talk about what's at stake here for Twitter employees, for Twitter users, and for our democracy. So hours after sending this explosive tweet announcing his bid to take over Twitter, Elon Musk happens to have a pre-scheduled TED Talk. This is probably the most exciting thing that's happened to the TED organization in, I don't know, five or six years. And he talked about why he wants to take over this platform. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, So uh, it it's just really important that people have the both the uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets. You know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So there's, there's no sort of behind-the-scenes um, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. So Elon Musk is laying out all of these big plans for Twitter's future. But there's still a question within Twitter and outside of it about how serious any of this is. Like, is Elon Musk just trolling everybody? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we know that he is a very prolific Twitter user and of late has become very invested in free speech as kind of defined by the right wing, you know, where he perceives moderation policies on social media as a threat to free speech. And so that's what a lot of the conversation in the TED Talk is revolving around. Just just be very cautious with with, with per- permanent bans. Uh, you know, t- timeouts, I think, are better or, uh, than, than, than sort of permanent bans. And um, a good sign as to whether so- there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like? And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning uh, free speech situation. So I want to ask the question that I think is on a lot of people's minds, if they're just people who don't know this, like, Wolf of Wall Street's corporate lingo. But, like, what is a hostile takeover? Like, how can Elon Musk force Twitter to become his company? Right. So a hostile takeover is kind of exactly what it sounds. It is an uninvited (laughs) um, demand for the opportunity to buy Twitter. And Twitter's board, you know, they have a fiduciary duty to do what is best for the shareholders. Um, So that means if someone offers a legitimate amount of money, you have to consider it. You can't just laugh it off because that's not what the executives want or that's not what the employees want or not what the users want. It's all about what is good for shareholders. So even if everyone on the board of this company is like, we don't really want him to have control of our company and we don't want to sell to him, they don't have the control to say no. They have to basically say, look, you're offering us enough money, so here you go. Here's our company. No, no, they don't have to agree to it at all, but they do have to consider it. And the amount that he offered, you know, makes it hard to just like dismiss outright. Mm. It was a premium on the very recent stock price. However, um, it is not if you consider just, you know, late fall last year, it was worth almost double as much. So it's not an offer that they can just laugh out of hand. You know, they have to take it seriously. And that's why they adopted uh, Twitter's board, this poison pill defense. Yeah, that's another term that I've heard people throw around that I really don't understand. Like, what is the poison pill defense? Like, what what is Twitter trying to do here to, to defend against this hostile takeover? intuitively you understand like it means like I kill myself but also kill you I mean essentially what it does is buys the Twitter board some time Um, so this poison pill defense it only kicks in if Elon Musk increases his share to 15% if that happens everybody but Elon as the prospective buyer will be able to buy Twitter shares at a reduced price and those shares say it's um, they'll offer uh, $10 And those shares at $10 will begin trading at $20. Mm. So that means that Elon's stake in the company is significantly reduced. And the amount of money he would have to pay in order to buy up enough shares to purchase Twitter and take it private is prohibitively expensive. And so this also could potentially force Elon to go back to the board to renegotiate. I mean, really what they're buying is time and difficulty. You know, if he wanted to just, as the richest man in the world, make a quick offer, take Twitter off the market, that's no longer an easy peasy option for him. All of a sudden it gets much more complicated. 
But but ultimately, does he have the money to be able to overcome this poison pill thing? Like even if the board makes it more expensive for Elon Musk to buy Twitter. I mean, I could technically afford it. Um, I, I had that. I had that. Um, Listen, he barely had the money to do his first offer in order for him to come up with that 43 billion. Again, on paper, a very small share of his wealth, but it's tied up. You know, he already is borrowing against his shares in Tesla and SpaceX. It would take an entire show just for me to describe, did he have that money? So in order for him to be able to come up with the money, if the poison pill defense kicks in, it's even more complicated. And, um, you know, there have been reports that Elon could potentially partner with other investors to altogether come up with this money. During that TED talk, he said he wanted to bring as many existing Twitter shareholders with him should he take it private. But as you can see by these convoluted explanations, what happens is it just gets that much more complicated. So for somebody that doesn't have liquid wealth, you know, it's just prohibitively complex. So so what exactly is Elon Musk trying to do here? He wants to just buy Twitter? He'll just be the owner of Twitter? <laughs> right. That's a great question. So he wants to buy Twitter in order to take this public company, which is traded on the stock exchange and has to be, you know, transparent with shareholders, meet certain um, quarterly expectations. He wants to take this company private again. And private companies, as we know, there's much less accountability. You know, they don't have to be focused on growth, but it also changes the way that they can um, just police the company and operate the company. They're able to to do things because they want to, not because it's necessarily good for shareholders. So, for example, if shareholders, you know, might value the Twitter stock lower because there's a bunch of toxic content on the platform and that drives away advertisers as a private company, you don't necessarily have to listen to shareholders. You can do what you think is best. So here's my question. Why does it seem like everyone at Twitter is so upset about the prospect of being owned by Elon Musk? Like. What is it about Elon Musk that has been so polarizing that people are freaking out a little bit about the concept of him taking control of, of Twitter as a company? I mean, I think all you have to do is just watch his tweets for the past couple of weeks to see why it would be unnerving. Um, you know, this man, as we've discussed, has lurched from, you know, one speculative future of Twitter where he is a state board member, where he's just advising them to all of a sudden a hostile takeover. And he has been doing these really kind of flippant polls on Twitter where he asks people, um, you know, should he remove the W from Twitter for the name? Oh um, just sound it out in your own head what that means, you know. So this is the level of maturity that we're talking about. But he's also talking about the importance of free speech and how he would treat censorship differently. And, you know, if you were listening to the TED Talk and you had no context about how this technology works, you might think he had a very um, principled ideological and pure hearted view of social media. He talked about needing to open source the algorithms and the need to be much more clear about how social media companies make moderation decisions. Like I think like the, the code should be on GitHub, you know, so then uh, and, and so people can look through it and say, like, uh, I see a problem here. I don't I don't agree with this. Um, they can highlight issues, right. um, suggest changes in, in the same way that you sort of update Linux or, or Signal or something like that, you know? It all sounds 
great. However, you know, this was the vision of the internet back in the 90s. So every social media CEO has started with a kind of similar vision. And then the complexities of doing this at scale, the complexities of uh, recommendation algorithms that take into account, you know, billions of details to the point where Twitter, Facebook, these companies, their engineers don't even know how these algorithms work. So He's talking about things also that Twitter has tried and they have failed. So he doesn't even seem kind of familiar with the history of the company, the history of social media, the history of recommendation algorithms. Um, so the prospect of having someone who hasn't done their homework, but has a very um, principled stance is just, you know, it feels like moving backward in time. It's it's just certainly not um, it's certainly not a comforting prospect. Let's say that. In trying to figure out what Twitter would look like under Elon's reign, everyone has been looking at his track record at companies like Tesla and SpaceX. Tesla in particular has faced numerous lawsuits alleging discrimination against black employees in particular. Um, you know, this is something that regulatory agencies have looked into. They have also faced sexual harassment complaints from women at Tesla. Um, you know, this is a, a company that is known for its toxic culture on the factory, in the office, allegations of a very abusive environment towards employees and people of color in particular. And this is a, a subject that came up during all hands meetings with Twitter employees. They've repeatedly asked, what should we expect from a potential company leader who has allowed this kind of environment to happen, um, you know, has allowed people of color and underrepresented groups to be discriminated against at his companies? After the break, I talked to Natasha Moore about Elon Musk's vision of rolling back moderation on Twitter and taking the platform back to its free-for-all origins. We'll be right back. There are obviously a lot of legitimate reasons why employees and users of Twitter are concerned about Elon Musk owning the platform. But Elon Musk is also extremely successful. So I asked Natasha, is there an argument that Musk could change this company for the better? Yeah, I mean, we should say, I mean, this is the most idolized billionaire, the most idolized tech CEO. I mean, he moved from having software companies and, you know, he was involved with the early stages of PayPal. He had like a media company that he sold and he transitioned into this like kind of larger than life industrialist figure where he is actually working with hardware. You know, he's sending rockets into space. You really cannot overstate the amount of people who see him as like, you know, as a Tony Stark figure. I mean, he's very often compared to superheroes. And, you know, even if you just look at his marketing prowess, he helped reinvigorate interest in electric vehicles. He helped reinvigorate interest in the space race. You know, so taking that kind of product person or even really that kind of marketing person on your board 
the pure attention that he brings to everything that he gets involved with, whether or not there's any there there. Um, you know, he's not only involved in these two major inspirational companies, he's also building a cyber truck. He's also digging a hole underneath Los Angeles. He's also working on robots, which he talked about, um, you know, during the TED Talk. He's also trying to do a brain link that will, you know, I, I don't even want to get into that because <laughs> it's so far out there. But, you know, if you're looking for an archetype or actually really like uh, the platonic ideal of American industrialists, that's Elon. And is there an argument here that a company like Twitter needs that or, or could benefit from that kind of track record of innovation? Yeah, Twitter has a terrible reputation in terms of its um, ability to make money off of the most addictive product. I mean, you mm -hmm. have the most powerful people in the world obsessively, including Elon, right, obsessively using your product and you haven't been able to grow it at the same scale as Facebook or other services or even monetize it in that same way. And Elon potentially brings this additional focus, this additional attention, energy to this company. And I should say Twitter has recently been on a hot streak it's definitely been putting out new products, new features, improving its interface at a much faster pace than it has in years before. But really the the metaphor that comes to mind, which comes from Nick Bilton's book, is like a clown car that ran into a gold mine. And many people still think of Twitter that way. So mm. uh, yeah, having a serious innovator on the board or you know in charge of the company potentially could change that from a laughable metaphor to something real. And what is at stake here for people who use Twitter, who aren't, you know, as worried about the corporate drama between Musk and these board members and who's going to make money here, but that, you know, people who use Twitter as a platform, like what are the potential benefits here and also what's at risk? Right wing people and conservatives, politicians see a huge benefit in him potentially bringing Donald Trump back on the service. Trump was asked to leave the platform. He was banned from Twitter. Um, that has seriously changed, you know, his megaphone in public. Musk has not talked about whether or not he would do that, but that's um, one possibility. Because that aligns with this whole idea of deregulating Twitter and saying, like, look, let it just be a free space. Our job isn't to censor people or to try to police who gets to be on here and what they say. Right, exactly. During the TED Talk, he talked about if it's a gray area, if it's, you know, not certain why something is being taken down, just leave it up. Well, I I, I think we, we would want to err on this. If, if in doubt, uh, let 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 the speech let let it exist. Uh, it would have you know if if it's a you know a, a gray area. I would say let let the let the tweet exist. So that undoes you know, maybe a decade of work for Twitter in cleaning up its platform, in removing hate speech, terrorists, Nazis, violent threats, spam, bots. It's taken the company this long to kind of clean up the platform. And they have been working not only on removing bad actors and toxic content on the platform, but they've also been trying to promote healthy conversations. So that's little nudges to say, you know, do you really want to, you know, tweet something hostile. And what Elon is proposing is a rollback of all of that. So what is going to happen next? What are you looking out for to see how this all plays out? 
I mean, I'm still looking for signs that there will actually be a follow through. It's it's just really hard to believe a the man even has enough time to, you know, to make good on some of these threats. Um, yeah, I'm still looking for more signals that outside investors are supporting this, that Twitter board members are supporting this. Otherwise, I will be looking for signs that his interest has moved on. And uh, I think that the Twitter board is probably looking for the same signals. We're still in the phase of how real is this? Um, You know, nothing that's been done so far is irreversible. So yeah, I guess I just have to keep my alerts on for Elon. Natasha, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Natasha Tiku reports on tech culture for The Post. Jordan Marie Smith produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Renny Svarnovsky and edited by Maggie Penman. If you have not yet voted for us in the Webby Awards, today is a very good day to do that since the deadline to vote is Thursday. You can find the link to vote by going to postreports.com and clicking on our most recent episode. Or if you listen in a podcast app, check out the notes from today's episode and you will see the links there. And in case you can't find them, I'll also post the links on Twitter. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 